Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'm happy to be with you today to continue our discussion from last week. We had a great Q&A that we went through with a lot of good material provided by many of our wonderful listeners. By the way, if you'd be interested in getting your questions answered either uh, in one of the sessions so that everyone can benefit from it or just getting an answer, uh, feel free to shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. We left one question unanswered last week, uh, and that was because I said we needed a little more time, and that's what we're going to do today. And that question is, if we didn't invest in multifamily, what would we invest in? Great question, and that's what we're going to spend some time chatting about. A little bit of a refresher. Mara Poling, uh, by the way, you can visit our website to find more information about us, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Mara Poling is a asset management firm who works with clients all across the United States, and we invest in multifamily real estate, specifically class B performing assets in growth markets with opportunities to add value. So a fairly specific target in terms of what we do. That doesn't mean we don't like the other opportunities, either inside multifamily or in some of the other uh, classes with inside commercial real estate. We're big fans of commercial real estate and believe everybody ought to have some equity position in commercial real estate in their portfolio. So the question that we've been asked at least a handful of times is if we were gonna do something in addition to multifamily real estate. Obviously, we're not going to leave multifamily. We, we think it's just a, a great place to be for lots of different reasons. The supply-demand imbalance, the stability of the, uh, of the class from the food and shelter standpoint, the uh, cushioned returns you can get and uh, balanced returns in the class B space as opposed to A and C and so on. So we, we talked about all that before. Not, not going to rehash that. Um, if we were going to add to that, though, if we we're going to do something other than multifamily, what would we do? So let's just take a quick look at um, what our options would be. And this is at an extremely high level, right? So we have, in no particular order, um, retail, right? And that can be everything from shopping centers to strip malls to uh, single-tenant retail uh, office um, again, kind of strip mall, uh, you know, uh, tilt up uh, class B, class C kind of office, all the way up to class A office space, um, hundreds of thousands of square feet, all the way down to uh, executive office space, right? Uh, leased out 500 square feet at a time kind of thing. Uh, industrial space, uh, which could be uh, warehouses or manufacturing space or infrastructure, I'd throw computer, da computer data centers, pardon me, uh, in this uh, category as well. Um, a subcategory of that possibly, although I think it's one that's interesting to call out, would be, um, <clears throat> pardon me, medical space. So clinics, um, uh, laboratories, hospitals, uh, and the like. Uh, government space, right? So government kind of fits probably a little more in the office space, but uh, could be here as well. Um, so that's another category. 
a lot of the uh, members that we have uh, explore other options, right? So these are folks that work with us in the multifamily space, and we often will ask them, so what else do you have in your portfolio? And uh, the ones that come up more often than others are uh, mobile home parks and cell storage. And uh, mobile home parks in our mind are a subset of multifamily. Um, they're in that same food and shelter category. Um, they, um, they are uh, set up in many instances to be um, age-oriented parks, right? So these are 55 and up uh, communities. And uh, so they function a little more in some ways like senior uh, multifamily, uh, some of them do. Um, and so that's that's an area folks have some interest in. So I wouldn't include that in, in this list because that's essentially, as I said, a subset inside of multifamily. And then the other is self-storage. And uh, self-storage is interesting. We've, we've contemplated a couple of times adding self-storage to some of our properties. Um, we've had assets where there's been some additional land either available or included in the acquisition opportunity. Um, Self-storage uh, and RV storage uh, is a possibility of something that we might add in that way. We've not been terribly excited about um, marching off to do that on its own. Um, uh, one, all of these that we're going to talk about today, these are all different than what we do. Um, uh, they're not what we are currently focused on. They're not what our team is currently built to uh, manage in an optimal way. That doesn't mean that you couldn't do those things. It simply means we're, we've got a machine that's very focused on doing multifamily really well. And so I'm not here to provide, uh, if you will, expert advice on these other areas. Um, given the amount of folks that have interest in and have made some investments in self-storage, that's probably a, a possibility. That'd probably be something I'd have on the list that we would uh, take a look at. So if if of the ones I just rattled through, there's didn't sound like any of those really leapt off the page at me, and that's correct if you're reading me that way, because it's less about the space and more about the structure of the investment. And here's what I mean by that. Um, we like multifamily because of the inherent stability and security of investing in a hard asset, right? It's a tangible piece of property that is in that food and shelter category, right? So uh, no one consciously makes a decision to not have a home to live in, right? People, everybody wants a place to live. Everybody wants a roof over their head. Uh, and in that regard, the multifamily space uh, would be really the very last thing right there with food that people would make a decision about uh, giving up. Right, um, you're going to give up your car and your phone and all sorts of other things before you give up a place to live. Um, so, uh, so it's really, really stable from that standpoint. And because of the enormous numbers of tenants that are involved, right? Not only in terms of the macroeconomic opportunity nationally, right? We're talking about uh, tens of millions of households, right? Uh, 40 million uh, plus, if you remember from our numbers discussion a few weeks ago. Um, but even on an individual asset basis, right? If we have a 
400 unit property. That's one of our larger properties we have is 400 uh, units, just a little over 400. In 400 units, so we have 400 tenants. Um, and while having more tenants means it's more likely that one of those tenants may have an issue, right? They may have their hours cut or they may lose their job or they may decide to move somewhere else or they may decide to buy a home, right? So there could be all sorts of things that would change their um, interest in staying a tenant. Uh, one, because we have 400, there's uh, very little movement to our overall performance if when one uh, household, uh, one unit decides to uh, make a change. The other is there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tenants available out there to backfill that position. And because we know things like that can happen, we actually forecast a certain amount of that to happen. And so our underwriting process, and this is true for everybody in multifamily, and if you're doing investing in your own portfolio, right, you've got a uh, half a dozen uh, single family homes or a few duplexes or something like that, you're gonna do the same thing. You can forecast every year, I'm gonna have this many vacant units uh, and build that into your model so that you're protected from that standpoint. So, that's part of what we'd be looking for is where could we make an investment that would have that same degree of stability? And the answer is gonna move for us, it's gonna move us towards the triple net single tenant space. And um, this is not intended to be an all encompassing uh, primer on a bunch of other different ways to invest in real estate. But just very briefly, what we mean by that is this would be a, uh, property that we would acquire or develop uh, most likely that we would then lease to a tenant, a single tenant, not multiple tenants for a long period of time. Uh, these kinds of leases are going to be five or 10 years with a number of options that are at the tenant's uh, discretion. So realistically, this is a 20 to 30 year uh, lease. Uh, there'll be some base increases built into it. Uh, they're not going to be 5%, 7%. They're not going to be the kind of increases that we see in multifamily because they're being negotiated up front. They're not a part of the um, uh, supply and demand of the marketplace uh, in this particular instance. Um, so you're not going to see the same kind of uh, rent growth on one of these kind of properties but you are gonna get an extremely long-term commitment from a tenant. And from an operational standpoint, they're, they're pretty low maintenance, right? So remember one of the issues we've talked about if you invest in, for example, in a single family home is how do you, how do you manage a single family home? Uh, you know, finding tenants and getting people uh, in and out of the property and doing maintenance and, and so on. And if you put a series of these together, how do you manage all that? Finding property management firms, for example, that could work with you could be a real challenge. Well, on a triple net lease, that workload is significantly reduced because the tenant is responsible for realistically everything that goes on at the property. Uh, they're gonna pay all of the expenses, all of the operating expenses for renting the property. Now you'll still have a few expenses, right? If, if we were doing this investment, we'd still have some expenses on our side. But for the most part, the tenant's paying everything, everything from the utility bills and uh, maintenance, uh, uh, you know, repairs and maintenance on uh, 
uh, on select items in the uh, unit. Uh, potentially some cam charge uh, uh, might be there for some uh, exterior space, depending upon how this is laid out. Um, uh, taxes, uh, you name it, uh, just passes right through. So this actually sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? Um, so relatively small amount of work to manage the tenancy. Uh, you get a long-term commitment from a tenant um, for a very specific kind of space. Now, I didn't mention which class this fits in because it really can be in a lot of these, right? It could be a, a retail space. Um, so, you know, think your corner drugstore, right? Um, uh, so wherever, whatever pharmacy you go to down the street, they're probably in a standalone building, uh, possibly in the, middle, in the middle of a larger complex, but they're in a little standalone uh, uh, building there. So that, that's one example, right? That could be a single tenant uh, retail, uh, could be a, a restaurant space, right? So it could be your favorite chain restaurant nearby that you're uh, looking at. Um, it, um, it could be office, right? It could be an office building that is uh, for a single tenant, right? Now, office buildings are obviously set up to have lots of tenants, but this could be uh, for someone's campus, right? Uh, for one entity to, uh, to use from that standpoint. Or it could be industrial space. So it could be a warehouse. As I said, it could be a data center. Uh, we, we've got some experience in that space um, uh, and the like. So, uh, so the structure isn't so much about the class of the asset as it is, again, the structure of the deal, the structure of the relationship with the tenant. The, if, if I was putting money in something that looked like this, it would fit in my diversification matrix. Remember, we talked about this a handful of weeks back now. While it is an equity position in real estate, performance-wise, it's going to feel more like one of those fixed income items, right? So it's going to have a lower return. It's going to be closer to the bond side. And it's going to have a fairly good amount of stability if I've got the right kind of single tenant. And the challenge is, if you're signing a 20-year lease, it is honestly impossible, with I think one exception, to be able to say that any tenant you work with today is realistically going to be healthy and viable 20 years from now. It's so one of the things we like about multifamily. We actually know individual tenants will have issues over a long period of time, and we can factor that in because there are so many tenants, right? We're not in that single tenant space. The closer you get to that single tenant space, the more the quality of the actual individual tenant becomes an issue. Um, so pick whoever you want. Whatever company you think is the rock-solid best company in the world today that you would want to have as a tenant and make them your tenant, right? Imagine that. Well, where are they going to be 20 years from now? Look back 20 years ago at who you would have selected as the rock-solid foundational tenant that you would have uh, cut one of these kinds of deals with. There's at least some chance that that tenant doesn't even exist anymore. And it's probably pretty likely that they're not as strong an entity as they were previously. They may have gone through mergers. They may have closed some of these spaces. They may have gone bankrupt a couple of different times. Um, 20 years is a long period of time to be counting on an individual tenant. So the selection of that tenant is, is a real challenge. So that's that's the stability side of it. So 
you're going to be close to that bond-like stability, I think you'll actually have more volatility than you would in the multifamily space. One of the reasons, again, that we like multifamily is that really solid, stable platform relative to all these other opportunities. The other is the return side of it. Um, in return, uh, no pun intended there, for a long-term commitment, these tenants are going to expect a modest rent increase baked into the deal. Typically, uh, not even an annual increase, right? It might be an increase that shows up every five years or something along those lines. So, uh, so not, not a big upside in terms of growth that way. These are not value-add properties, right? These are properties, as I said, in many instances, they're, they're um, development projects, right? So these are projects where you develop an asset for an entity uh, to use, uh, and you bake in the tenant improvements and everything else into the lease up front. Um, uh, there may be uh, some additional TIs that are done over time to refresh the property and such, and those would be kind of baked into the deal as well. Um, but the returns aren't terribly large. And essentially the reason for that is this, is this really isn't a real estate investment as an equity player. It performs that way. You get the financial benefits of being in the equity side, you take the risks of being in the equity side, and you get the tax benefits of being on the equity side but you're really loaning somebody money because that's essentially what a triple net single tenant lease is, is that tenant is in need of space like this, right? Describe the space. They could buy the land, do the permitting, develop the property, move in, put some debt on it, depreciate the asset themselves, pay all the same operating expenses that they would otherwise and just go on their merry way. Well, why wouldn't they do that? It sounds like that's essentially what they're doing here, right? They're, you know, we'd be getting the debt for them. Uh, we get the depreciation benefit, but they get to write the entire uh, rent payment off uh, each month in order to do that. Why would they like to do this? Well, because this is essentially for the tenant off book debt. And what I mean by that is this, is it functions exactly like they went out and bought the building or built it from, uh, from the ground up and then put debt on it and are managing it themselves. Operationally, functionally, it works the exact same. By structuring it as a leasehold where you the investor, the owner, own the building, develop it, take out the debt and so on, um, they get the ability to have this controlled asset without having to put any more debt on their books. Uh, and if they have a large real estate position, uh, that could be advantageous. You'll actually see some tenants move back and forth between those models. Um, where they'll have uh, offices where I've seen this the most common, uh, where you'll have campus properties that are built and developed by a, a company. They're used for them, their own purposes. And after some period of time, they make a decision to uh, do a sale and lease back. So they sell the properties, 
part of that sales transaction is to put a lease in place where they lease back those those units. Uh, and they do that, and then they stay in that leasehold for some period of time. And at the end of that leasehold, I've seen companies buy the properties back. Now, we're not talking today about whether or not that's uh, a good decision, whether or not that makes a lot of sense, whether or not it uh, flies uh, in the face of any tax issues or whatnot. That's that's uh, that's not the point of that um, of that little nugget there. It's simply to illustrate that. Uh, these are less about real estate investments for these tenants and more about managing their own balance sheet in terms of how they want to structure themselves for the investor world that they have to deal with. So that can provide an opportunity for investors like us to invest in that space. The returns are going to be modest. Uh, we're not going to see the high single digit uh, cash numbers that we do in multifamily. You're not going to see the uh, mid to high teens uh, total returns. You're you're going to be able to get a 1031 capability. Um, it could be down the road a ways, or it could be a little muted because when you're going to sell this, it's almost like you're selling a bond if you think about it, uh, because you're competing at the time that you go to sell this property with what somebody else could make investing in the same kind of an asset. And if at that particular point in time, there's an opportunity to get a better yield in a, a new development, right? A new property that you'd build, uh, then it's just like trying to sell your bond when interest rates have gone up. The value of your bond will, will be lower in order to, uh, to compensate them for that. So, this, as I said, we want to take a little more time than we had last week to talk about this. Um, we currently do not have any positions outside of multifamily real estate. I don't expect that we'll have any positions outside of multifamily real estate anytime soon. Uh, we continue to be very pleased with not only the performance of our multifamily portfolios, uh, we're also very pleased with the positioning of the asset class and what's going on in the marketplace and what continues to be forecasted for this marketplace. Um, if, if you have an investment that you're in, in the real estate space that I didn't mention uh, and that you think uh, would be something that would be of value to share with folks, shoot me an email about it, uh, pat at marapolling.com. M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. If you'd like to learn more about the multifamily thesis we have and, and why we believe multifamily is for our objectives, security, stability, tax advantaged cash flow and equity growth, why multifamily is the right place for us to be investing, uh, then shoot me an email, Pat at Mara Polling, swing by the website, marapolling.com, take a look at some material on the Learning Center, uh, or set up a time for us to chat. Uh, you go to the website, there's a little space where you can click there, a little telephone you can click, and set up some time. I'd be happy to hop on the phone and answer any questions you have. So I hope you found today's session valuable. Please subscribe, and uh, that way you won't miss any of our new material that comes out every week. And I look forward to seeing you again next time on Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling.